one of the family. The family. Dogs are a part of it and at the very heart of it. Nikki Campbell explores this wonderful world with the help of special guests and some other family members. Welcome to One of the Family. And on this episode, two of the great dog champions. And I ain't talking crafts. The amazing Ira Moss, founder of All Dogs Matter and actor, activist, Peter Regan, a remarkable human being whose life's mission is to make this world a better place for all non-human beings. We're on the shoulders of giants. Peter Egan. I don't know where to start. As an actor, phenomenal. Household name. And as an activist, he has given so much of his heart and energy campaigning for the voiceless. Well, Ricky Gervais shares Peter's sense of mission and his burning passion for animals. Recently, Peter appeared in Ricky's sublime afterlife. Peter wanted to sing the praises of his friend. I think Ricky's a genius, I really do. I mean, I think he is so clever. Um, I think that afterlife is such an extraordinary creation. I mean, he is a real auteur because he has created the whole environment of that society and introduced into that society a lot of English nutcases that do, as we know in life, the most extraordinary things. And he's found a, found a way of putting them together in a situation that you, you are crying one moment and then without the transition, you're laughing. And I think that's a huge gift. But other than, I mean, he is hugely talented artistically, but he is, he is a real mensch. I mean, he is a real heart human being, um, incredibly, um, incredibly sensitive, intelligent and, um, and caring. I admire him hugely. And there was uh, a good vibe on the set with um, like-minded people. Oh, wonderful. Just absolutely wonderful. What, what is great about working with someone like Ricky as well is that, I mean, he, as you know, he, 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 he writes, he writes, produces, or he writes, co-produces and directs and, uh, and acts. And you don't see any, he doesn't become a director. He's Ricky directing and you don't feel like you're being directed. He just says, um, what about, try this, um, like, you know, he doesn't, like a lot of directors want to let you know that they're directing, he just keeps peeling the onion in a strange way. So it's a very, very relaxed and comfortable set. It's a very, very inclusive set. He takes what's offered and develops it. Um, and he is clearly deeply loved by the whole uh, repertory company that he's created around him. It's a great feeling on set, absolutely wonderful, full of laughs, no pressure, and... Um, and no wasted time. Yeah, I have huge, huge time for him. He's a marvellous man. Well, Peter and I got on to trophy hunting, and he reminded me what Ricky had said about that particular activity. One of the family. 
It's a bloodlust and it's justified by the going. And imagine if it was true. Imagine if shooting one giraffe with a bow and arrow saved a few other giraffes, right? That, why should we placate? Why should we pander to that psychopaths who've got money? If I went into a, if I went into a hospital and said, um, I'll give a million pounds to cancer research if I can just shoot one of these uh, chemotherapy patients. You'd go, no, of course you can't. Are you a psychopath? <laughs> it's, 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 it's ludicrous and it's a lie. Since I spoke to Peter, his beautiful, beloved dog Cassie has died. And it was heartbreaking for him. This episode of One of the Family is dedicated to a dog who will never be forgotten. Cassie. We've been rescuing dogs for about 21 years now. They all have a pr- profound um, impact on, 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 on us, on me. Um, it, but there are a few that stick out. There was one uh, called Tucker a border collie cross with a Labrador, I think. It was a magnificent dog. And at the time we had five dogs. Um, We lived in North London, Hampstead, and I used to walk on the heath a lot. And um, I would take all the dogs out on the heath together. Dogs would all go in different directions. And Tucker would see where they all went and he'd follow one, then come back and touch me on the hand. And then he'd go off, follow another, come back and touch me on the hand. And he did it for all the four dogs and then came back as if to say, I know where they all are and I'll walk with you. And he used to, we used to walk together through the wood and he would then just dart off, come back. He was always checking. He had the most wonderful spirit and the most wonderful nature. And a very ancient Labrador that we have now who is in her her last, um, I think, sadly, her last year with us. Uh, called Cassie, fell in love with Tucker. And it was wonderful to see this relationship, very personal relationship between these two dogs and how Tucker looked after her and how she followed Tucker. Because Cassie was a rescue from a puppy farm and so she was had, had a very unpleasant start in, in life. Mm. Tucker took her under his wing. It was, it was just wonderful. Sadly, he developed epilepsy and we only had him for eight years. I used to see him, sounds rather fanciful, but walking on the heath. <laughs> it's, it's terrible, these things are unexpected, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Right, and, and <laughs> you, your body or your mind gives you no warning, it just, um, it's why I'm sort of hesitating on this emotional moment. Um, but I swore I used to see Tucker in the bushes on Hampstead Heath when I, for about a year afterwards. Similar to when a great, great friend of mine, an, an actor called Anton Rogers, um, who was a great friend of mine for 40 odd years when he died, I thought I used to see him on the heath as well at times. So there is some kind of um, spiritual link to something, someone that goes, I think. So Tucker was a profoundly important dog in our lives. How was Cassie when Tucker went? Because she fell in love with Tucker. She went very much into herself even more. And, and I think became very sad and reflective and has always been um, wonderful company, but totally 
undemanding. Um, goes off on her own in the house, will find uh, you know a sofa to get on and lie, lie and, uh, very often by herself. If she, she just now just walked into the garden, all the, the other dogs are here lying around on the kitchen floor, but she's just wandered off um, and I can just see her. So she, I, she just went into a total state of reflection, really, I think. Why did you start rescuing dogs 21 years ago? What led you to do it? I had dogs as a child. I, I, I was born into a totally lunatic. My father was a Dubliner and um, I was born into a an Irish household um, just uh, near the Kilburn High Road in North London, you know, Kilburn, which is the unofficial capital of Ireland, County Kilburn. We had um, two dogs when I was a child that I remember. They would have been in my life up to about the age of, I suppose, eight or nine. From that age until I was 40, we didn't have dogs in our lives, in my life. Uh, we had cats for a period of time. I adored the cats as well. When I was 40, I had kind of felt that I had achieved uh, enough in my life as uh, career-wise to be able to give more time to other things, I suppose. And Myra said uh, about Rebecca, you know, you're, you're not looking at her Christmas list um, properly. And I said, why? And she said, because every year she has um, dog lead, dog collar, dog bowl, dog food. And I just thought it was a joke. And of course, it, she desperately wanted a dog. We got a dog, and this is 34 years ago. It was a black Labrador, Crackers. He was delightful, wonderful, wonderful dog. A couple of years later, um, we lived in West London at the time, um, just outside the Bally Ram Bear on the Chiswick High Road. Um, a dog collapsed in front of my wife, Myra, a blonde Labrador that we kept and called Custard. And Custard was also a remarkable dog. He obviously had been abandoned or his owner had died because he was quite old. Myra brought him home and he had these big, brown, beautiful eyes. And she kept saying, you know, we, we have to keep him, you know. And I put my hand over his face and say to her, I don't think we can. I think one dog is enough. And eventually my hand was taken away and he always, Custard sat next to me and looked him with his big brown eyes. Until finally I said, okay, we'll keep him. Custard being older than Crackers um, finally uh, departed and we were left with one dog again and one cat, strangely enough, a, a, a cat called Dasher, um, who used to fetch my wife's inhalers when she need, had an asthma attack. Dasher and, um, and, and Crackers, both blacks, black animals, they hated each other. When all the other dogs, the cats and dogs went, they suddenly bonded. And I'd often see them sitting together, looking out of the window, with their backs towards us. And, I, and it was terribly touching. But of course, what, what Crackers was then saying was, um, I need a companion. Um, I was walking on the heath one day and I, I met someone. They talked to me about a charity called All Dogs Matter. It was a group of girls, four girls, who were rescuing dogs from their front rooms and from their, from their cars. And, uh, and they were doing it very, very successfully. I kind of got together with them and they asked me if I would be a, a trustee for them once they became a charity, and, but would I be a patron for them? And I said, I don't know anything about this world of dog rescue, so you will have to teach me. So they did teach me about the appalling situation for abandoned dogs in London, you know, which totally shocked the life out of me because I had clearly been living with a huge amount of 
cognitive dissonance as far as what goes on considering myself to be an animal lover. One of the family. And to the wonderful people at All Dogs Matter, Peter really is one of the family. From All Dogs Matter, here's Ira Moss. So I met Peter um, with some colleagues about, gosh, 12 years ago. He was living in Hampstead at the time, so we used to see him out walking his dogs. Um, He had a real passion then, but his passion hadn't quite been lit, I guess. It's exploded, hasn't it? Exploded. (laughs) It's been like Vesuvius. (laughs) <laughs> he's everywhere there's anagrams of him everywhere you go in animal different with a different animal I know. charity I know. peter is amazing i mean he just that man will just not stop and say no so he's always there he's like big uncle pete i mean you can imagine this is quite a tough job and you meet some not particularly nice characters sometimes and you know sometimes you just want to you want a shoulder to cry on mm. he's amazing another great passion of peter's is animals asia charity run by the most inspiring person I've ever met, a woman called Jill Robinson, who started this charity in 1996 or seven um, in China, which they rescue bears from bio farms. I think the worst and the most horrible um, crime against animal welfare on the planet is um, is, uh, bear bio farms, because here you have these fantastic big bears that are used to um, traveling 45 to 50 50 miles a a day in the wild foraging are kept in crush cages which hardly allow them to turn around they have a lifespan of 30 years so they can live for 30 years in these cages having their bile extracted on a daily basis which is the most horrific thing they have an open port stuck in their bellies which it goes straight through to their gallbladder and they siphon off um their bile daily these poor bears go insane and so i was introduced to this charity and um jill asked me if i would be an ambassador uk ambassador for them i went to china and i visited the sanctuary they have three sanctuaries now which it's the most remarkable charity on the planet um and i went to the sanctuary and i just fell in love and these big magnificent bears that are rehabilitated, they'd never go into the bee released into the wild. The enrichment and the welfare that they are provided with by this wonderful team, um, that then opened my eyes again to another problem in, in, in how we uh, abuse animals. So it went on from there. I suddenly then became uh, the man who can't say no, and now I'm <laughs> a patron or an ambassador for about 25 different charities that range from you know a charity in Cameroon, the Limby Wildlife Center, which they rescue chimpanzees and gorillas and African gray parrots and things like that. Along this wonderful pathway I find myself on, everywhere I look, I see an animal being abused. My life became renewed once I walked through that door into a room called Animal Welfare Stroke Animal Rights. Totally changed my life in the most profound way. And it's re-educated me in terms of the importance of all species. Well, talking there about the rescue of those beautiful moon bears, Peter mentioned the most remarkable and inspiring woman he's ever met. 
Hello, Nikki. This is Jill from Animals Asia. Thank you so much for the opportunity to gush about Peter. He's one of the kindest and most passionate animal advocates I've ever met, and we're all beyond thrilled that he's our ambassador. He takes his role and the cause so deeply to his heart and he always, always speaks on behalf of the bears at every opportunity. He brings their plight to the world's attention. He shows why kindness and action is seeing hundreds of them rescued into our sanctuaries in China and Vietnam. And Peter, we just all want to thank you for being a bear's best friend. We love you. To the moon and back. You must have seen things without going into graphic detail, but you must have wept so often. Yes, well, <clears throat> um, I mean, this again sounds fanciful and I don't mean it to sound melodramatic. I know I'll never sleep well again because I wake up, I go to bed because my timeline is full of horror and it's full of upsetting imagery. And so, and I try to deal with as much of it as I can during the course of my day. Um, and sometimes I do force myself to open my computer and my laptop and engage with it because it, invariably it's horrible. It's horrible stuff. Um, uh, so I know that I will never sleep well again, but that's, that's a small price for me to pay to engage with it and share it and hopefully in, in whatever way I can try to make change. When I went to Indonesia um, two and a half years ago to visit the extreme markets, um, that's the kind of markets that produce this current uh, COVID-19. I have never ever ever seen anything like it in terms of the horror. I, I thought I was in hell. But when I came back, uh, two days later, I, I had um, breakfast with a friend of mine. And he said to me, what's the matter with you? And I said, nothing, nothing. What do you mean? He said, you've changed. And I said, um, oh, no. no. He, said, he, he said, you look like you're in grief. You look like you've not, has someone died? And I said, no, no. Uh, he said, well, you are, you, you, are, you are really changed. And I do think that, and, I, and, I, and again, it sounds fanciful, but I do believe that with this COVID-19, I think animals are protesting, are coming back and saying, stop doing to us what you're doing. Tell me some of the things that give you sweet dreams, some of the wonderful, beautiful things that you've seen from animals, connecting with each, with each other or connecting with humans, because you traveled the world and you've seen a lot there must have been moments that make it all worthwhile well uh, yes there are um certainly in china in chengdu at the moon bear sanctuary to see giant moon bears having a bubble bath or climbing a piece of um furniture that has been created for them to replicate uh, you know, the wild, in you know, a wild environment, to see them having fun. One is not allowed to kind of get too close to the bears in, that in, in the sanctuary, but you can, at feeding time, give them some food um, without ever wanting to touch them or stroke them. So they will take food from your hand. And to be so close to this magnificent creature and for it to be so gentle and for it to have been so damaged by human beings and then regain the trust to come and sort of disconnect. I just found that touch my heart. Oh, gotcha. And then 
in Indonesia, we rescued some dogs from this market, five dogs, took them to the only sanctuary on, in, in Tomohon, um, where there was a, a large space with about 200 dogs that had been rescued. Within 20 minutes of them being in this safe haven, they became dogs again. And they ran around and they came to you and, and they just became, they, they, they behaved as dogs. It was remarkable. And of course, that, that is such a huge reward that made that so worthwhile. How did they trust you? They just know when they are in safe hands. Where would you be without dogs? If you didn't have dogs in your home, if you didn't have dogs in your life? Be a terrible old man sitting in the corner guzzling a lot of alcohol. <laughs> I mean, I can look at my dogs now just lying here asleep. And immediately, that thing you were saying, that, that thing that is missing and it doesn't, it keeps me awake at night, I can look at them and I'm filled with a wonderful sense of happiness. And there is no better sound to me on the, on the, on the planet than what I'm going to do soon is feeding my dogs, hearing all of the that wonderful thing of eating, that snuffling and chewing and all that kind of stuff of eating. And then half an hour later, that as they all lie down and have a have a kip, and it's just totally relaxing. It's 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 such a gift. How can one explain to people who don't love dogs what it means to have dogs? It's it's magical, and um, and as you say, you know, I, I couldn't be without them. But imagine a world without Peter. One of the family. Right. Down a bit, just read this. Like a hostage statement. Right, read it into there, read it into there. Go on, go on. Please, can I just practice? Yeah. Please subscribe and leave a review of this outstanding podcast. Check out the brilliant Facebook page and superb YouTube channel and get in contact via Twitter at one of the family one. Coming next, a lovely but very important conversation. It's all right. Thank you. See ya. Bye. There's Isla. From Isla to Ira. And this really is such an important conversation. We're heading for a major dog welfare crisis, the way things are going. And we heard earlier on from Peter Egan about the wonderful charity Old Dogs Matter. Well, from Old Dogs Matter, here is Ira Moss. Ira, just back from walking my dogs on the common. Puppies everywhere. It's becoming a real problem. Mm. But since second or third lockdown, it, it seems to have got worse. Mm. Buying and then reselling of puppies has just spiralled out of control. So the demand is so high that, of course, the prices have spiralled, which means that unscrupulous... Um, I mean, puppy farming's always been bad. Just think, each time you're giving someone an envelope of cash or transferring £3,000, you're lining probably the, the pocket of possibly organised crime, which it's now been risen to. Not very nice people. And you need to think about the mum. And the future of the puppy, because the puppy may have been taken from mum far too soon. Well, mum, mum will be even more exploited than usual because they'll, they'll breed them milk them literally milk them um as much as they can now because each litter if you think 
um, Nikki, that each, the average price of a puppy is between two to three thousand pounds, sometimes four thousand pounds now. Um, if you have six puppies and you've got six dogs having puppies, that's a hell of a lot of money. Why does it happen? It's, it's just beyond us. Dogs have suddenly become too fashionable. They're on trend. Um, I think at the beginning of lockdown, everyone thought oh, you could go out and exercise if you had a dog. If you remember, the weather was great. Um, it seems ages ago, but it was only sort of March, April. The weather was amazing and everyone wanted a dog. And of course, they're, they're, they're manufacturing them to become cuter and cuter looking. Unfortunately, what we've noticed is sadly they're not because people are paying so much money. They're not bringing them into rescue centres. So when they're no longer wanted, they're still a valuable asset. They've still got second hand value. So people are just reselling them online. So even if um, you get half your money back, which can still be £1,500, that's a lot of money. So each puppy can turn over in its lifetime. It can produce maybe five to £10,000 because it can be resold three or four times. But the time we get it into rescue, because it's got ear problems or medical or behavioural issues, each breathing little soul has, has turned over a lot of money and it's really worrying they're not coming into charities so there's no checks being done on them what people are now doing we've, we've heard of three people this week that have said they've said to people oh you know how can you afford that three thousand pounds is a lot of money oh it's fine i'll just breed off i'll just breed off my one and they'll get all the money back literally and they have no qualms saying that you said three words that broke my heart no longer wanted no longer wanted because I don't think people that you you're obviously an experienced dog owner and we all know all of us listening that have owned dogs or not owned dogs it's hard work owning an animal and a dog mm. we had a horrible story yesterday we got a call from um one of the dogs lost posts about a dog that was a staffy cross um that someone had got last week they didn't have a chip number for the dog but they were calling the person they got it off the week before to see if they had the chip number. And that person was ringing the person that they got it off the week before that to see if they had the chip number. No one could find the dog. It was in our borough with the wardens that we work with. I rang to see if maybe the dog had been handed in. Um, he hadn't been. And then an hour later, we got a call that he was found dead um, on a railway track in North London because he obviously somehow escaped, got into a panic, probably ran and ran and ran and was a victim. And I believe that that's happening. I, I heard of that one, but I think that's just going to be happening more and more. Yeah. I just wonder, dogs are on trend at the moment. I, you know, I've loved, I've loved dogs since I was born. We had a dog in my house when, yeah. when I was an infant. Yeah. I just adore dogs. And I believe now that dogs are our entry ticket into the animal kingdom, the broader deeper animal kingdom mm, yes they're kind of they stand at the gates and they allow us in and they they invite us in to see beyond ourselves i don't know you know just there's a podcast like this encourage this sort of thing when people find well no because we're talking about um i mean I, you know we're, we're talking about the other side of things we're not talking about just the cute little fluffy part of things you're trying to get the story across as it really is Old Dogs Matter. Tell me about Old Dogs Matter. Well, Old Dogs Matter um, has been going for nearly 12 years. And we rehome in, or up until now, we have taken in and rehomed um, sort of three to 400 dogs a year. Um, 
often they are strays so a lot of the bigger charities work with councils they have council contracts and if a dog ends up as a stray which means it's often been bought and then abandoned gets picked up the dog warden it then gets seven days in a dog pound um, and if it's not claimed or it's not chipped or even a lot of dogs are chipped but then you'll call the owners and they say oh, i gave it away last week blah 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 it then goes up for rehoming so it's then down to us the other charities as well to assess that dog see what we think it's like get its medical care because a lot of the dogs that come in when they need a lot of medical care so that's another reason people are abandoning they don't want to pay vet bills when they are back to health a couple haven't made it most of them do make it um they then go up for rehoming and we try and match them up now the, the problem is at the moment for every um 10 years ago it was quite hard to persuade people to adopt dogs so now what's happened dogs have become so popular for each each person applying at the moment if we put a dog on the website we literally will have 20 applications in like an hour so we have to then choose who we feel is the best person for that dog in terms of their home not just their wealth um, but we want to make sure they can afford to go to the vets if the dog gets ill um, we don't generally rehome with young children because um, we don't know that dog could have come in from someone with bite history or they might be very very nervous so don't want kids running around them if they have got another dog some dogs have to live with another dog the ex-breeding bitches we take the puppy farm dogs in the ex-breeding bitches and with them we find they need to they get their confidence from other from another dog because all they've ever had for company have been other dogs so we try and prioritize those to live with another dog when all this is over they'll start flooding in well yeah i'm not sure yes they, they, they i think they'll go through that they'll, they'll come in when they do get to charities they'll already be on their second and third home and they'll be a lot more traumatized um a lot of them will have been used for breeding like this these couple of people that said to us well i'll get the money back i'll just breed off them and there was you know there's that awful program that i think has been stopped now you know how to get rich from my dog has know. it been stopped um i'm not sure i'm not I sure they changed the name you know, of it yeah I think you change it. I mean, it's just all these programs, you know, it's just, it's, it's just too, I never thought I'd say it, but you need to stop making dogs desirable. They're not, you know, we need to almost downgrade their sort of USP and, and make them less desirable yeah. than they, they are lovely. As you just said, they're amazing creatures. Um, they're fantastic, but in the wrong hands, they can also be, a bit of a pain let's change the message then oh dear dogs are horrible i can't, I, oh, I can't. <laughs> well i'm like you each time i see a puppy now i go out i'm also near the heath and when i see a puppy now ordinarily i'd have gone oh cute you know but now i'm like oh god not another puppy please <laughs> so what about a rescue dog because i have an ongoing debate in our house about it we're about evenly split we're saying, well, next dog we get yeah. should be a rescue dog. Um, adopt a dog. And some people in the household say, oh, it might be damaged and emotionally traumatised. It, 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 it might be, but we'd be honest with you about that. Lots of them are. It's like adopting a child to a degree. I know that's a bit, well, you're probably on, you know, with your programme, you'll understand that. But mm -hmm. it is kind of like adopting a child, obviously not to the same level. But... Yeah, they might be a little bit more confused and traumatised, but there's lots of amazing, fantastic families out there that are willing to take that on. If you're not willing to take that on, then, then it's not for you. Um, and some of them are more damaged than others. Some of them are fine. 
um, and they settle in relatively quickly because it's again it's all about the match if you put them with the right family or person the transition is is a lot easier but it's just um, about yeah you they may be a little bit more confused um, but they're so much more thankful and the rewards are so great when you see them flourish and they are thankful you see them starting to come out of their personality and their tails wag and they can relax and they don't they don't sort of hype they don't flinch from you if you go to stroke them that to me it's worth for 200 pounds or whatever it is to adopt a dog it's it it's it's got to be worth it we were we were bringing dogs in from china up until last year because um, there's the meat farms out there but unfortunately everything got cancelled because well we knew about what was start what was happening because we were, one of the farms was in wuhan where we get the dogs from Oof. So sadly, we've got all those little dogs that have just been stuck out there for over a year. Whether they're all alive, I don't know. But um... What's your favourite ever dog that you've had? Oh, well, my dog, I, I can't really talk about, my, I lost my little Staffy, Abby, four months ago. I, I rescued her. She was 14 and I rescued her at the time when no one wanted Staffies. Um, and there were just brindle staffies everywhere. No, no one wanted to touch them. When I started off fostering her and ended up adopting her, she was amazing. And she became an ambassador for staffies. She really changed the um, perception of the breed. You know, she was so good on the dogs and people and she became kind of quite famous. Um, and then we weren't going to get another dog. Uh, in between, we've had a couple of Labradors and things. And we weren't going to get another dog when she died. And then um, one of the lovely dog wardens um, T from Hackney called me up and he said, oh, Ira, I'm so sorry about Abby. And we don't see many, which is what I was saying to you, there's not many staffies anymore. So we are, the ones we get in tend to be older, particularly the brindle ones, if you can picture the old, the brindle ones. Um, and he said, there's this dog that's just come in. She was sitting by Clapton Station by the bins. She was just sitting there on her own. So I brought her back. She's got a few lumps and bumps, a few lumps and bumps when I, when I thought, Tea. that was a bit of a lie that was, was a lot of lumps and bumps <laughs> he said but she needs somewhere she needs somewhere to go and she somehow there was something about her reminded me of abby and i thought you might like her do you want to do you want to look after her so i thought oh gosh here we go so um it was at the end of september so the weather was still quite good the evenings were still quite nice so instead of walking with the dog i used to go for walks on the heath by myself and then of course locked it it was it, it turned into autumn and I went to see this, this, we picked this dog up, Lola. I couldn't have her at the time. So I sent her, we got this lovely foster carer called Jonathan, um, who lives in um, not too far. And I said, well, Jonathan, you couldn't do us a favor. There's this lovely old Staffy. He's a bit, of, he's like me. He's had a Staffy. He's a bit of a sucker for Staffies. She needs looking after a few days. I can't have her. Could you have her? And I'll come and get her from you because she needs to see a vet next week. So Jonathan said, of course I will. I'll go and get her. He went and got her. He said, oh, Irish, she's lovely. I said, I'll bring you some food. I'll drop you some food down. One look, that was it. I was that was it I was a goner just one look at those big brown eyes and those floppy ears she's probably we think she's a staffy lab her name's Lola she's 10 years old Peter's met her of course Peter had to meet her um she has she's covered in tumors which we've had checked and they are benign tumors and I'm guessing this is why someone probably abandoned her now she was microchipped to someone but that number doesn't the, the details on that chip no longer exist she's obviously been looked after because she's you know she's made it to 10 and she likes children and she seems you know she's obviously been a pet but 
the tumours are so large that even for us as a charity, it's going to cost us between 500 to 1,000 pounds to get everything done. So, um, and also, um, I, so I took her home. We were, my husband and I were going to, we thought we'd foster her, but of course, a week later, that didn't happen. But every time I go past a bin, she wants to sit by a wheelie bin. So I've got to get her out of this habit, Nikki, of like, no, you need to come back with me. It's really nicer where we are than sort of sitting by the bins. Oh. She comes to work every day and she's great company. And I'm so pleased with lockdown as sort of spending these long winter nights in, having her cuddle up to me and stroking those floppy, floppy Labrador staffy ears is the best medicine ever. It is. I wonder what happened in her life that meant that she or means that I she know I just wish she could bins. speak I've asked her so many times Lola please just like you know I, I wonder if she'd ended up the last part of her life the last couple of months of her life with someone homeless because um in the morning where where I walk there's a little park which is opposite East Finchley tube station which is on the northern line and it's a bit you know it, it's a sort of it's an art deco type station which could possibly look similar to how Clapton station would have looked you know Victorian sort of hackney I mean she's definitely drawn to that um she's definitely lived with kids because if I walk past a playground or a school she's drawn to sort of sitting at the gates she's looking you know she wants to go into those gates um and um but I think maybe she ended up because this is it again people just aren't bringing them in so probably whoever had her couldn't afford that veterinary care. She might've been waiting, she's quite loyal. So whoever had her, if it was a homeless person, could have just said, sit here and wait for me and I'll come back. And at that point, I think it was the, the refuse cl um, cleaners, the, the road sweepers that found her and work. So Hackney, Hackney's dog warden service is connected to the refuse. It's environmental, it comes under. So they just walked her back, fortunately, to the depot that was just across the road. Um, and then tea, um, who normally is quite a tough nutty, he normally go, oh, I'll keep it here for seven days and I'll let you know. And I'm like, oh, T, please, you can't leave it. Please let me put it into a foster home because we try and get our dogs into foster homes. I can't bear the thought of them being in a dog pound, you know, or a kennel. So he's, for him to ring me up and say, oh, Ira, you know, do you want this one? I thought, um, it was, it, he, he just knew, you know, she was some, I, you know, it was just meant to be. Sometimes I, I tell her that I'm going to send her back because if she's a bit naughty, I do tell her, but that probably won't happen. <laughs> My guess would be it won't happen. Why do you love dogs? You know what? It's a very interesting question you say that. And I often think, what is it that makes, why are some of us born to love dogs and animals and some not? Yeah. For myself, um, my dad was always an, an animal lover. And when I grew up in the 70s, there were still animals roaming around you know dogs used to take themselves off for walks which I'm sure you remember as well um and my dad was always bringing home stray dogs and cats and when we went on holiday we used to get chucked out of hotels because we'd end up bringing all the food home from our meal time and feeding all the animals we'd end up with a balcony full of cats so I'd sneak dogs into the hotel room and invariably we'd get chucked out my poor husband I drive him mad when we go on holiday you know, we always have to visit a shelter somewhere, whether it be donkeys or horses or, you know, we have to visit a shelter. I like, from obviously from a work point of view, I like to see how other countries work and how they're developing and what they're doing, which is kind of also quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I just, just love those ears. You know, if you can squidge an ear, what's better than squidging dog's ears? Well, keep up your amazing work. Thank you. I'll try.
Ira Moss. What is better than squidging dog's ears? Here we go. Maxwell. Thanks for listening.